everyone. It's Raghu. I'm back with uh, my old friend, Danny Goldberg. And you all know Danny because he had a show here for some time and he appears often on Be Here Now Network in one way or the other with whoever. And Danny, welcome. Great to have hey, you. Thank you. Nice to, nice to be here now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, everybody, I asked uh, Danny to do this with me uh, when I heard of the death of John Lewis, a uh, congressman who died just a few days ago. And uh, Danny has uh, been very close to the whole historical uh, civil rights issues and the people, of course, uh, Danny's, a, a, I mean, who isn't in a way of a devotee of Dr. Martin Luther King, but uh, Danny has uh, spent a lot of time in his own private life, basically, as well as somewhat public life uh, focused around the work of Dr. King. So I thought, okay, let's, let's do something. The caveat is we're, we're two white guys, but in, in a way, you know, we're also two humans and you know, we have such huge appreciation especially for the the work of of these men who and women who really um, went so far to change the culture of this country and of course we're in the middle of that roiling itself um, you know quite largely uh, through of course the death of uh, George Floyd so Danny maybe, you know, I thought it would be great. You always do so great with me. Uh, now, I'm from Canada, so there is a little bit of a, a difference in terms of how I grew up. Um, actually, I wanted to tell you that we did, because of the foundation Love Serve, remember, we have been educating ourselves. We, we actually did a, uh, a little seminar last weekend um, um, uh, with the person, Robin, who wrote uh, White Fragility. I'm not sure. Are you familiar with that book? I'm, I'm familiar with it. I have not read it, but I, I, I'm well aware of the book, and it's on my list. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty great. So uh, it, it allowed me to see some of the differences with where I grew up, because one of the questions was, did you grow up in, uh, was that a mixed neighborhood? If not, where was, uh, where, where, what, how far away from you was the neighborhood? Were, were you going to school? A, a multiracial situation. None of it applied to me. Mm. I'd never even, um, I actually did not. The only time when I was, I remember nine or 10 years old, taking the train with my cousin going from Montreal to Toronto and the porters were black. And I later found out that that was one of the few jobs that the very few uh, uh, African, well, Canadians, but black people uh, could do back then. And my introduction actually was mostly around because I was so much into jazz that uh, there were a couple of clubs in Montreal. And that, this was later when I was a teenager. So I have a, a it was a, it pointed to me that a little bit of a difference in terms of my uh, relationship with black community. Mm. And, uh, but, you know, I thought it would be great if you, just a little bit of historical perspective on how this this all got created. I mean, I you know, in my uh, education recently, 
uh, one of the most wild things that I, I well, not that wild, the, that the Pope in 1600s or 1700s gave his benediction to the Portuguese government to allow slavery, slavery to go forward. And all they asked for was they wanted them to be converted and they wanted a, um, a bounty for every head. Mm. And, and that was the, one of the antecedents to, to this horror. But yeah, a little bit of historical uh, perspective might be good. Well, I, um, just thinking about John Lewis in particular, since it's his passing, that's kind of the catalyst for this conversation. Although it's worth noting that the same day that John Lewis passed, uh, C.T. Vivian, uh, who was also a very close colleague of Dr. King's, very much committed to nonviolence, also passed away. He was, I think, about 10 or 12 years older than John Lewis. John Lewis was 80, and I think C.T. Vivian was somewhere in his 90s. And and I couldn't help but think that, you know, because I really think of Dr. King, uh, uh, John Lewis, C.T. Vivian, uh, Andrew Young, many others whose names are not at my tips, but a few dozen, mostly very young people. Uh, you know, Dr. King was 26 or 27 when the Montgomery bus boycott happened. John Lewis was 17 when he first met Dr. King. And they were kind of, to me, the equivalent of the founding fathers of the United States in terms of these Hmm. young people who did things that were so revolutionary and so uh, important. And of course, you know, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson also passed away on exactly the same day. Hmm. Um, And, you know, there is... um, you know, uh, I don't want to belabor the comparison, especially given the fact that uh, most of the founding fathers were slave owners. Uh, Adams was not, but Jefferson was. But 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 this generation of young young people. I mean, the civil rights revolution, which which uh, at least legally ended the previous hundred years of what loosely has been called Jim Crow, which was legal segregation, racial segregation enforced and upheld by law, uh, which was ended by the Civil Rights Act in the mid-60s and with some additional help from the Voting Rights Act that came after it. Of course, the Voting Rights Act has now been uh, uh, pushed back by both the U.S. Supreme Court and the intransigence of Mm. uh, Republicans in the Senate. But Still, that 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 the civil rights movement, one key milestone was the passage of those laws in the mid '60s, and that was a a, a revolution after a hundred years of legal segregation, and it was done by these young people. There were older African Americans who'd fought this battle for many, many, many decades, and most famously, um, the, the NAACP had a series of lawsuits, and they played in incredibly important historical role and without the NAACP and without litigation without people like Thurgood Marshall who first became known as the uh, uh, lead attorney for the NAACP legal defense fund and then later was on the U.S. Supreme Court himself as the first African-American member 
But I don't believe any of that would have happened without this movement that was driven by these younger people, that just arguing the law was not enough. They needed this mass movement. And the purpose of the mass movement, I think, was to change the consciences and therefore the political will of white people. Because certainly African-Americans all along were against all of the racist uh, policies, whether it was legal or just cultural, that uh, uh, put them at such a disadvantage even after slavery was abolished. It was mm. it was changing the political reality among a politically salient number of whites that that created the political climate for finally at least those laws to be passed. And I think there's a mirror of that in terms of the demonstrations after the murder of George Floyd, in which, thank God, enough white people have changed their opinions so that people in government are feeling pressure from a mm. politically relevant majority um, because, uh, you know, there's still, you know, uh, uh, more whites than, you know, any other group in this country. But, but you know, King, again, was, was uh, I think, 26 when he first went to Montgomery to be the preacher of the, of the church there after he got out of his uh, uh, graduate work. And, and within the first few months of him being there, uh, Rosa Parks, uh, mm. uh, you know, refused to uh, sit in the back of the bus. The Montgomery bus boycott happened, and that triggered what we think of as the civil rights revolution that sort of starts in the mid-50s. And a culmination, certainly not the culmination, because we haven't resolved the issues of racism in this society yet, but a significant step forward takes 10, 10 years, you know, between... Montgomery bus boycott and the passage of the Voting Rights Act, and um, uh, you know, um, you, you know, uh, John Lewis. There's a documentary that's on uh, a bunch of the streaming services. I just about saw it. It's that fantastic. I just watched. You oh, know, you did? yeah. And uh, well, I knew we were going to have this conversation, so I mm -hmm. thought it would be kind of lame not to see it. <laughs> yeah. To do is push a button and yeah. pay three or four dollars to rent it, and. Um, you know, the idea that at 17, he writes a letter to King and so inspired by him because of the Montgomery bus boycott and King uh, uh, sends him a round trip uh, bus ticket from uh, yeah. Troy, Georgia to Montgomery and to meet him. And um, that that in a very short length of time, Lewis became a key advisor and uh, then was the uh, president of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee when he was 21 years old. That was referred to usually by the acronym SNCC. And mm. those words nonviolent, um, to me, have a holy, a holy meaning in the context of all of this. And Dr. King had studied in college the works of Gandhi, who was a great instructor, inspiration to him and uh, Niebuhr and uh, Henry David Thoreau and and many other uh, people uh, Emerson who 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 had written about nonviolence the example of India obviously was the most famous one but um, him and John Lewis in particular and uh, CT Vivian certainly uh, never wavered in their commitment to nonviolence and it was often expressed as the wisest tactic because King would often talk about we're a minority in this country. It's just simply not practical to think that we could possibly physically prevail in any kind of armed conflict. Mm. It's not going to work 
it's not going to make anyone's lives better. So putting it, but, and that was an important argument and it was a tactic, but it was also a deeply held uh, spiritual belief. Uh, yeah. You can't listen to uh, John Lewis's many, many speeches or Dr. King's many sermons and speeches because Dr. King was as much of a spiritual leader as he was a civil rights leader in terms of his legacy and my view of things. And that that was connected with uh, people like uh, uh, older American pacifists like A.J. Musty and British pacifists like Bertrand Russell, who, who, who had a deep spiritual, ethical belief that that was the way human beings had to behave to achieve change, even if it was painful. And, uh, you know, I recently also rewatched the Gandhi movie. Oh, yeah which uh, I think holds up uh, pretty well. And of course, that was not a particularly popular philosophy when Gandhi introduced it in India to, uh, you know, there's a huge rage at the British and also a lot of uh, uh, violence uh, between Muslims and Hindus. Unfortunately, the latter problem has not uh, gone away. And he would say, yeah, nonviolence hurts. And people get hurt, but people get hurt in any kind of a conflict. It's not like people don't get hurt in a violent conflict. It's a question of what is the right thing to do? What creates the right residue and context for a decent society? What is the spiritually right thing to do? And what's actually going to be effective when you're dealing with the imbalance of uh, physical power and economic power, which is the case. uh, Mm. And uh, John Lewis uh, never, never, never wavered from this. In fact, uh, when he was 22 or 23, when Malcolm X's popularity was growing in the African-American community, uh, Stokely Carmichael um, ran against him for, to be president of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee and, um, and beat him. And, Stoke, and, 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 and the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee was no longer committed to nonviolence. And... But John Lewis stayed committed to it. And, uh, you know, I saw there's a historian named John Meekham, who's uh, mm. apparently working on a book about Lewis that's going to come oh. out, I guess, in the fall. And and uh, he was on one of the TV shows. And he said uh, and he spent a lot of time with Lewis in the last years of his mm. life, interviewing him in the context of the book. And he said Lewis never got over his pain at being rejected by SNCC, even though he became a U.S. congressman and served for over 30 years in the United States Congress and was uh, praised rightfully so by everyone from President Obama to there is no uh, modern American politician who didn't have good things to say about John Lewis. He was beloved. Even John McCain loved John Lewis. There were Republican Congress people who loved John Lewis. He had a, a radiated a decency that uh, transcended politics, even though he was very unwavering ideologically. But he apparently uh, never really got over the feeling of disappointment and rejection mm-hmm. and pain from that. And, you know, um, it's such an, a good lesson because uh, most of us have had rejection in our life and, uh, from one way or another. I certainly have. And, um, you know, the trick is not to pretend it doesn't hurt. The, predict- the trick is to get over it, you yeah. know, uh, yeah. not in terms of not yeah. feeling the pain anymore, but not letting it dominate your self-definition or what you do in the future. And, Boy, John Lewis, what a, what an example of someone yeah. who, quote unquote, had this huge loss at the age yeah. of 22 or 23, and then 
you know, uh, by by the uh, and and you know that was um, that was in the uh, 1960s, and he doesn't enter Congress until 1987. So it's not like he just went boom boom yeah. from strength to strength, as yeah. they some of our you know the rabbis say. He he spent 20 years just staying committed to his beliefs in a sort of unglamorous way. And then, and then, and then reemerges as this—they uh, call them the conscience of the House of Representatives. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, where he served for you know thirty, uh, the better part of uh, yeah. thirty-three years. You know, yeah. so yeah. just a beautiful being, irradiated beauty. I, I, I didn't uh, ever get to know him, but I did meet him a couple of times, and he just had that vibe that beautiful souls have. And, and kind of uh, was able to be incredibly pragmatic about politics, strategic, tactical, and effective without losing the innocence and sweetness of, of, a, yeah. of a spiritual person. And we don't get a lot of uh, examples of that inside one human being in our society. And he was, he was one of them. And, uh, you know, uh, really just beautiful to think about him, even though yeah. as much as it's a drag he's not on the planet, it's also an excuse to reflect on a beautiful soul and a beautiful energy that is still on the planet. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, when you talk about holy in terms of nonviolence and all of the uh, philosophical um, resonance that that has and the fact that it's just at its core spiritual, that uh, I picked up this thing that's an excerpt from uh, John Lewis's book, Across That Bridge, A Vision for Change in the Future of America. Uh, let me just read this because I think our listeners, obviously, are, I focus a lot, mostly on consciousness, still do some stuff around what's going on in our uh, social lives, and uh, a lot of that with you. And I think this is important because for me, uh, I didn't really, I knew John Lewis, the congressman, and I'd see him on television. I knew John Lewis, who was close to Dr. King. But I really didn't have a breath, the wide breath of who this man is and the deep core spirituality that he is. And the more I started to get into it when, when he left uh, just in the last few days, uh, it's just, uh, he's a pretty extraordinary being. So this is something from this book. He said, you are a light. You are the light. Never let anyone, any person or any force dampen, dim, or diminish your light. Study the path of others to make your way easier and more abundant. Lean toward the whispers of your own heart. Discover the universal truth and follow its dictates. Release the need to hate, to harbor division, and the enticement of revenge. Release all bitterness, hold only love, only peace in your heart. Knowing that the battle of good to overcome evil is already won. Mm. Choose confrontation wisely, but when it is your time, do not be afraid to stand up, speak up, and speak out against injustice. And if you follow your truth down the road to peace and the affirmation of love, if you shine like a beacon for all to see, then the poetry 
of all the great dreamers and philosophers is yours to manifest in a nation, a world community, and a beloved community that is finally at peace with itself. Beautiful. So, what is that from, Raghu? That is from Across the Bridge, A Vision for Change in the Future of America, uh, a book, I, I'm assuming it's a book that he wrote. That he wrote. Well, yeah. Just beautiful. I'm not surprised, but it's so beautiful. And to hear that kind of a idea and energy coming from an elected official is, yeah. is uh, you know, it doesn't, uh, doesn't happen all that uh, often and, uh, you know, uh, just just incredible no it's it's an unbelievable um the 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 contributions of african americans to this culture and to world culture coming out of such a horrible uh, oppression uh both mm. through slavery and through the post slavery um racism and yet the 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 amount of saintly uh, beauty uh, is, uh, you know, uh, it, it definitely, uh, you know, a lot of it yeah. is rooted in Christianity and it's, uh, you know, it's easy to see why your guru and many others, uh, of different traditions also saw Jesus as being part of the same yeah. cosmic yeah. truth, because, yeah. uh, when people are really tuned into that energy, they come out sounding like John Lewis. Yeah. But you know, it's not, I just read some beautiful words that he wrote. And then he, he, it was action about him. You know, oh, he was, was you no, know, the, 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 the famous march uh, across the Edmund Pettus bridge and Edmund Pettus was some Confederate racist. You know, there, there's now a movement to try to change the name of the bridge yeah, to the John yeah. Lewis bridge, which I hope happens. But no, he was beaten and bloody. And I think his skull was cracked. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, of course, many people in the civil rights movement, uh, less famous, many of them were murdered. Uh, you know, the three civil rights workers famously in Mississippi and many, many, many others and, and hundreds more were, were beaten. Uh, there's an incredible film of C.T. Vivian, who I mentioned earlier, uh, talking uh, to um, an Alabama sheriff who then just beat him uh, and, and while he was just expressing uh, love, you know. And um, there's a story, there's another documentary I strongly recommend that you can find on HBO uh, called King in the Wilderness. And oh, it's yeah. about the last 18 months of Dr. King's life. And for whatever reason, it didn't get a lot of publicity, but it's incredibly well made. And it centers really? around the last 18 months of his life. Andrew Young tells a story about how when Dr. King was um, in Chicago, uh, you know, uh, any student of his life, um, all of the books about his life focus on his attempt to achieve racial justice in Chicago as one of the great uh, disappointments. He couldn't get the change he wanted. He got a, a minor group of accommodations to end the marching and the, the racism that he found in Chicago and the Chicago suburbs he would later describe as just as bad as anything we had to deal with in uh, Mississippi mm. when they were trying to integrate neighborhoods, change mm. the way these uh, housing rules were that uh, African-Americans couldn't buy homes or they couldn't get mortgages or they called it redlining, this whole yeah. elaborate yeah. Yeah. system that wasn't enforced by law but by business practice that had the same result as legal yeah. segregation. And um, how 
they were marching and there were hundreds and hundreds of angry white racists screaming racial epithets at them. And, and Andrew Young, who later became the mayor of Atlanta and uh, a very distinguished career, but at that time he was one of the key lieutenants of Dr. King, said that this uh, a woman uh, came right up to King with her veins uh, bulging, screaming uh, racial epithets at him that I would not uh, repeat. And, and King just looked at her and said, you're too beautiful to be so mean. Hmm. And, hmm. And, and Young said about 15 minutes later, she came back to him weeping and apologized. Really? You know, wow. and, um, you know, uh, these are saints in the body of human beings. You know, these are people who have flaws. All of these people have their flaws, their egos, their imperfections. That's the nature of, we. I think, human birth is my experience. It is anyway. <laughs> but actually uh, channel saintly energy into these incredibly difficult situations. And, uh, you know, I think that's kind of what holds our world and civilization together from going into a total dystopian chaos and uh you know to recognize the people who've embodied that you know is a way that we can all be inspired by there are still people doing this kind of work i mean i know you lived in north carolina for a long time and reverend barber uh, to me is someone who does this kind of work and embodies this kind of spirit and there are many people who aren't famous but who do it in their moment to moment or day-to-day life but having these uh, famous role models are really useful because it's uh, not so easy as, uh, uh, as you know, to love everybody. It's one thing for your guru to tell you to love everybody. It's another thing to actually do it. And to see people who do it when their physical lives are threatened and when their careers are threatened and who do it because they have this unshakable conviction that that's who they are as beings, uh, you know, is really, uh, is really, I find very, yeah. very helpful. Yeah. And how about in terms of practice, what you preach, uh, there was an incident, um, that happened with John, John Lewis, uh, where he described when he was a young man, he was beaten bloody by members of the Ku Klux Klan after attempting to enter a white waiting room. And many years later, this was in February, 2009, one of the men that had beaten him came to Capitol Hill. He was in, by that time, this Ku Klux Klan member was in his 70s and he had with him his son in his 40s. And he said, Mr. Lewis, I'm one of the people who beat you and your seatmate on a bus. And the man said he had been in the KKK. He said, I want to apologize. Will you accept my apology? And he did. And then he hugged the father and the son and they all just cried together. And John said, it is the power in the way of peace, the way of love. We must never, ever hate. The way of love is a better way. So talk hmm. about love, everyone. Like So beautiful. Is this from that same book? No, no. This is something yeah. else I picked up yeah. so, on some other. Very, books. very beautiful. Thank you. I, I hadn't heard that story. That's yeah. so, so beautiful. Yeah. And, and, and then uh, j- just a, another thing which has nothing to do yeah. with his quote unquote saintliness or whatever I, saint is uh, it's a word that everybody understands but yeah. the power of his practice of presence 
in the even in the face of the most horrible things you know we saw that movie you know both of us in the last couple of days and the the lunch counter scene yeah. where they went in and they get ki- kicked and beaten and then they just pick themselves up to get back into the seat i mean this kind of commitment and yeah. and you hear john lewis going it's it's a matter of bringing love into it in yeah. that moment i mean just no, that, and, and this tradition of believing in nonviolence, it's, it's a philosophy which hasn't been uh, particularly trendy. You know, there's a certain glamour about uh, by any means necessary. I, I respect the emotion and the sense of justice that, that, that propels that, but it, 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 it isn't to me as high a calling as nonviolence. There are people that with, with, whose names we'll never know that passed on these teachings. Some of them were Quakers. I first became familiar with nonviolent theory from the American Friends Service Committee that was active in the nonviolent side of the struggle against the war in Vietnam. And of course, you know, Dr. King, you know, was urged by um, many other civil rights leaders and almost all Democrats not to oppose the war in Vietnam because they said it would undermine his struggle for racial justice. And he said, how can I tell gang members in Chicago not to be violent mm. if I'm not against our country being violent? Uh, you know, don't you know me? You know, I, he, he was incredible. Yeah, again, in this film, King in the Wilderness, this was the other big issue he dealt with the last year of his life. And John Lewis, the same way, um, you know, the, these, uh, these are amazing, amazing people. And, Many of them have passed to the other side. They're kind of the greatest generation. They're another greatest generation of the African-American greatest generation. Not that any generation has a monopoly on greatness, but, but that, that group that were able to be the vehicles for that step in the American story were amazing, amazing people. Mm. And now, now we're at another crossroads, and we have to recognize the beauty in people in real time when they're doing it, it's a little easier after they're dead, and or if they're very very old, it's a little harder in real time when the issues and and, and are so uh, intense and everybody's mm-hmm. own sense of security is threatened by being you know too controversial. Yeah, right, exactly. And uh, and, and the other thing with uh, John Lewis, I, I was going to say before that I saw this is something else I saw on the net, uh, probably on social media. Uh, it's one thing for him, which is a phenomenal thing, as I said, the kind of presence that he had to enact the words that he spoke. He took, he was active. He did action. Mm. It wasn't bullshit. No. But then at another level, and we're talking now about you know, a highly spiritual person, I saw a little film, Amici. You know Amici, the hugging saint from India? Yes, I'm familiar with her, yes. Yeah. So she apparently went to Washington and they set up a meeting. I guess she wanted to meet John Lewis and they show a film of them meeting up and her thing is, you know, loving and hugging people. Mm. And she did that with him. He was so, he's so in the moment. He just started crying and he asked for Mm. someone gave him his assistant, gave him a handkerchief. And he was so in the moment with the depth of Mm. just loving and being loved by this, mm. by this, by this. Where being. is the, where is that footage? Uh, I uh, actually, I, 
I'll try and find it and send you. Oh, oh, oh you guys that are out there going to do the show notes here, and you're listening to this to figure out what to do. Okay, <laughs> Must be on YouTube that, somewhere. Yeah, yeah find no, us the link. Yeah, yeah. Amici and, uh, and John Lewis. And let's, I would uh, love that connect. link. That's incredible. I didn't yeah. know about that. I'm not surprised, but I didn't yeah. know it existed, you know. Just another example yeah. of, of yeah. the man's enormous presence in the moment. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, all the way to him... You see in the film that we saw, um, which is Good Trouble, right? Is that yeah, the name yeah, of the film? Good Trouble, make yeah. Good Trouble. Uh, um, uh, him dancing to some really cool tune, and yeah, Pharrell, he was really Get good. Happy. Yeah, there was the Pharrell song, Get Happy. Oh, I yeah, know. the Pharrell song. He was I mean, well into his 70s and yeah. uh, and still, you know, exuded this joy in his uh, dancing. No, but he, had, he's, yeah. he was a great dancer. <laughs> he yeah, was really, yeah. You know, every little move was yeah, just perfect. Yeah, 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 you know, yeah. just another reflection of who yeah, he is. Yeah. Um, so another, another interesting thing, uh, given the foundation and the websites and the podcast network that we represent, Ramdas.org, Be Here Now Network, so we, you know, we have been doing, uh, I have been doing a number of different uh, podcasts with uh, people like Conda Mason. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her, but she's part of Jack Cornfield's uh, mm-hmm. Spirit Rock, but has been a, an advocate. Uh, she's one of those people that you might not have heard of. She's been working mm-hmm. on this her entire life. Mm-hmm. And uh, just uh, she's going to start doing some podcasts, everybody, by the way, real shortly. So look out for her. She's just a fantastic uh uh, person. Um, so as I do these things, we're getting a little bit of pushback from our audience. Not a lot, but enough to make it worthwhile for for me to even mm. prompt you about this, which mm. is robbed us. This is, you know, all Black Lives Matter, all lives matter. And that's not particular to our audience. That's particular. That happens out there. It's happening um, across the country, you know, the, the reactivity of, of that with some people. And, um, what have you thought about this? Have you heard about this? And, and, uh, it's, it's a a difficult thing. Of course, Ramdas himself was a major, uh, social action advocate. And we actually have a whole series that he did that we found from the eighties called reaching out, which we're going to share with people about his advocacy. Oh, nice. I'd love to check. Yeah. I'll I'll let you know. I'm not surprised knowing him a bit, but that's, I didn't know that existed those things. Yeah. Uh, Well, I, I don't exactly understand is the nature. I mean, the, the idea of black lives matter versus all lives matter is uh, it's like uh, somebody gave the example that if, uh, you know, if if someone had come up to me after my dad died and said, uh, instead of saying, I'm sorry, your dad died, they'd say, gee, you know, well, sorry, anybody has to die. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or, or if somebody says to you, I love you and you say, well, I love everybody. You know, it's, it's, it's not, it's not true to the situation that we're in, in the country. There is a, a disproportionate vulnerability that African-Americans have. This is statistically proven by every metric there is, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, um, a killing of, uh, of, of uh, police officers or, uh, you know, uh, mortality rates. Uh, the, the, there's just an overwhelming fact that the legacy of slavery did not end with the Emancipation Proclamation. It did not end with the passage of civil rights legislation. There's been uh, progress, is no question, 
it's better, I think, to be African-American today than it was 50 or 100 or 200 years ago. But it's not, uh, we haven't achieved the racial justice. It's, and, and it's uh, much uh, harder for uh, a lot of uh, us white people to recognize it because if we don't feel racist and our friends aren't racist, we, we forget the venality and evil of the racism that does remain until we see something like that uh, video of the murder of George Floyd. And then you start reading uh, and remembering the disparity of incomes, the disparity of wealth, the disparity of opportunities. And, uh, you know, it's not very difficult to trace it to the legacy of, of uh, legal segregation and uh, uh, unfair uh, practices, uh, uh, unfair uh, disparity of educational opportunities, of health opportunities, and all sorts of other uh, things, and uh, and so uh, you know um, that's why the phrase "Black Lives Matter" exists to recognize that truth. And 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 while it's true that all lives matter, it's irrelevant in the conversation about the unique uh, consequence of patterns of racism. And, uh, you know, then every African-American, no matter how well-educated or wealthy they are, uh, has a story about, uh, a, 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 about a racist uh, incidents in their life that, that, uh, that white people never have to go through. And that's, that's a reality and a consciousness raising that is uh, the goal, as I understand it, of a lot of the movement that's going on now. Now, does that relate to spirituality? Can you say, gee, if you don't believe these political ideas, you're, you're not really spiritual? Uh, no, because I am only a limited human being and I only have the idea that I have at this moment. And I've changed my mind about a lot of things over the years. And I think it's important to honor how much we don't know and to honor that God created the entire human race, including people whose politics we disagree with. But at the same time, faith without works, they say in, mm. in the Christian world, is incomplete. Is, is, uh, if, you, if you don't live by the idea of loving everybody, if you don't live by those things in terms of the way you treat other people, uh, then, then you're disconnected from that part of reality. And our mutual friend, Bernie Glassman talked a lot about this in the context of Buddhism, where his views about having a social conscience were also very controversial, uh, as I understand it, in the in the traditional Buddhist world. And he formed something new called the Zen Peacemakers Peacemaker, Order yeah. to actualize his belief that he could be true to all of the classical Buddhist meditation and the transmission from his uh, teacher that he had received and still process that through the perception of having love and empathy for all beings, including those who are suffering, and, and to act in an ethical manner, and that ethics are also a subdivision of spirituality. Now, that doesn't mean that two people who are ethical and spiritual might not come to different political conclusions. Absolutely true. Yeah. But I think each of us mm -hmm. still needs to follow what our heart and mind tells us in real time is the spiritual thing to do and not just have it be some separate part of ourselves that's disconnected. You know, I'm going to meditate and I'm going to merge with the light, but when I come down, I'm not going to notice a homeless person on the street or someone asking me for a quarter. 
that doesn't really work for me. Now, Dr. King uh, um, was very preoccupied with this very issue in dealing with the white Christian community and some aspects of the black Christian community. And his famous um, essay, which was turned into a book, a uh, letter from a Birmingham jail, is about this. It's a letter to, that uh, was in response to a statement from some white Christians who, uh, who were criticizing the civil rights movement based on the idea that it was incompatible with pure religion. And he says it way better than I ever could. Another great document of his, much more cerebral than some of his sermons, but he could operate on multiple uh, channels. So in the context of our community, uh, look, I, I wouldn't tell anybody that, gee, to, to, to love Ram Dass and to follow his teachings is to vote a certain way or donate to somebody. But I think to follow his teachings is to recognize the world that you're in, your place in the world, the choices that you have in front of you, and not run away from them. And if you really, deep in your heart, come to a different conclusion than I do, that's the way God made each of us. But if you try to escape from dealing with these things in the name of spirituality, to me, that's not consistent mm -hmm. yeah. with the Ram Dass that I knew. Yeah. Is, that, is that responsive to uh, what you were saying? Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I just uh, saw something recently that he said, which was, if you're doing nothing, you are doing something. And uh, it was that's an interesting statement uh, from him. Uh, in that, in this training that I taught, it's Robin DiAngelo, by the way, who wrote the book White Fragility. Okay. And, and yes. in the training, you know, it's just identifying: Are you racist? No, I'm not racist. My best friend is a black person, or you know, that kind of response. And then at one point, she said, "The truth, though, is if you're if you're not doing something." actively and it doesn't it's not it's not getting elected to congress and and trying to change the uh, voting rights laws but it's it's just a a, a small a, a small kindness in your neighborhood it's a it's it's giving and supporting a black store uh, owned store whatever it may be she said if you're not doing this then you are contributing to racism so it was a, it's a pretty um, intense statement, and I'm sure you know there there would be a lot of pushback around that. I, I even felt uncomfortable as I was in the thing, uh, just uh, interacting. Uh, and yet, uh, I at the more that, and as you said, once this thing people saw George Floyd being murdered the way that he was, once that happened. It seems impossible not to look into ourselves, not to educate ourselves, and how can we live uh, in this kind of unjust society without uh, some action? Yeah, I, I think um, it, there's no denying that, that it's a tremendous, we're very complex beings, and the group of a few billion of us is unknowably complex. and. I, 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 I understand that any particular plan, any particular program, any particular teaching, you know, may have its limitations. And, uh, you know, it's not about um, having some allegiance to some particular dogma 
or what some of the people like to call uh, political correctness. I'm, I'm uh, all for open-mindedness, but that has to be married to open-heartedness, suffering. And uh, no matter what our opinions might have been about the last 30 or 40 or 50 years of American politics, we have to look in the mirror in 2020 and see we've made progress in some ways. We have uh, African-American billionaires. We have African-American uh, talk show hosts. We have uh, obviously, you know, uh, African-American president. That's better. But it's uh, the overall situation in terms of the uh, imbalance of wealth, the imbalance of, of uh, educational opportunity, and the way people are treated in the criminal justice system is, is not moral. It's, there's something wrong. Now, to say something is systemic is not the same as knowing how to fix the system. And people of goodwill are going to have different opinions about how to fix the system. And there are a lot of very well-intentioned ideas that turned out to do as much harm as good. And then you move on to the next, you know. Mm. But the idea of ignoring that reality doesn't seem consistent to me with being uh, a moral person yeah. in 2020. Yeah, yeah, exactly. By the way, another little antidote, uh, anecdote, not antidote. <laughs> we could try and think of some antidotes to this yeah. stuff here. Is that uh, when, because uh, you mentioned Obama, when he was uh, inaugurated on the first time, first inauguration, yeah. John Lewis just went up to him and he was just weeping, you know, at the extraordinary moment. Yeah. And, you know, Obama said to him, John, it's because of you. Yeah, it's because of it's you. It's because of you. And yeah. the weird thing is, four years later, this, the second inauguration, he, he, he went over, he remembered what he said. Yeah. He said, John, it's because of you. Yeah. No, and I think he had Reverend Lawson. I think Obama had Reverend Lawson, who was also a nonviolent mm -hmm. colleague of John Lewis's and Dr. King, who's still, I believe, alive, one of the, you know, in his 90s, uh, 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 speak. Um, uh, no, I'll, I'll, uh, I didn't agree with every policy of President Obama, but uh, I do feel he had very good intentions and was one of our better presidents, and he did honor the tradition that allowed him to be in that position. Uh, so again, I don't. Uh, he honored I, being a human. Start there, uh, given what's going yeah. on right now. So you know, again, I, I I understand your dilemma of how to balance the inner work that we're doing and the idea of loving everybody, which means everybody, including people who you know don't want to wear a mask in public. You know, it, 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 they're still God's creation, and there's some mystery why each of us are so different that that, that, that that we have to stay in that place. And one of the things I so learned from Ramdas about was his commitment to that idea. Didn't he always have a Republican on his puja table always, the last 15 always. or 20 years? Yes. And that was his commentary on himself about knowing his biases and wanting to live up to what your guru told him, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. And, and I don't think we can ever remember that too much. But that doesn't mean we don't try to act according to what our own conscience tells us in real time, in the moment. If it's what your conscience tells you, that's one thing. But if you're just trying to escape into some vague notion of spirituality at the expense of honoring what's right around you, that doesn't feel yeah. that spiritual to me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Uh, totally agree. And I'll have to uh, make a little bit of an admission here because we're talking about someone like John Lewis, mm. who, as you said, I mean, had so many incidents where he was roughed up and beaten. And, and in he, he was jailed more than 40, 40 times. times. Yeah. Yeah. One time is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was one time in, 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 in a, in a, in a, in a uh, juvenile facility. I was once enough was enough for me yeah. 40 times. I know. And to know it's going to happen and be able to have the kind of equanimity and commitment and presence is extraordinary. So in thinking of all of this, I happen to, um, I have somebody else that I actually did a, a podcast with uh, named Makad Brooks, who's a, a, an African-American actor. And I was introduced to him and uh, I started following him. He's a, a major, we talked, He's he's been a proponent, a young man who's been a proponent of social justice, racial mm. justice for a long time. And he started just putting some stuff up on his uh Instagram account. And so there was this one particular video, Danny, of a young African-American in a car. And he, he was surrounded by police, one that was right looming at him in a very extraordinarily aggressive manner. And he, this young man had his cell phone up and he was filming it. He had his cell phone in one hand and he was doing this. I'm not doing anything. I am, I'm respecting and, and, and cooperating, but I am videoing this and I ask you to, you know, uh, respect my rights, something like that. Very even. And another two, as I said, two other policemen on each side of the car and this really uh, uh, menacing, menacing officer. Mm. and th kept threatening him and he kept saying i'm not doing anything i'm and then eventually what happens is you can see the officer reach in and grab him and just pull him literally by his neck out, uh, out of the car uh, it and and of course the video went um actually it kept playing and you heard the commotion and so on and so forth it was it was so Effing horrible. And in it, I I just talked about how John Lewis personally confronted this. And this is just me, you know, watching a video on social media and getting uh, this enormous poison came up in me of, oh my God, I just, how can this be? And and the and the hatred I felt in that moment to that policeman who is obviously, I mean, been deluded from the time of his birth by his social circumstances from parents well, and so Well, you know, look, I, um, I, I think my political views kind of have become clear through this conversation, and I'm not at all contradicting them. But I also, I do worry, look, these video devices, first of all, they're here to stay. And I think it's much more good than not because uh, we wouldn't know what happened to George Floyd if there weren't a video. They would have made up some other story. No question about that. On the other hand, the ability to sort of excerpt things from videos and repeat them a million times, and even there's this possibility of altering them and so-called deep fakes that yeah. 
that, that, you know, I worry a little bit about um, when I feel that kind of agitation hmm. uh, from seeing something, reading something on Twitter, reading, you know, that I try to watch it inside myself because, first of all, it's only a piece of the truth. It's not the entire truth. And, and I do think that, um, look, I think police uh, uh, practices need to change. I think training needs to change. I think there are some people who have a, a badge and a gun who shouldn't have them. I think uh, practices like chokehold should be outlawed. I'm in favor of reallocating resources and most of the progressive shopping list. But I also do think it's important to recognize the humanity of people who serve in the police. I think uh, I've had many, uh, you know, that 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 some of them um, have had very personal experiences that make them scared and on edge. Uh, maybe five minutes before the video took place, maybe five yeah. years before. Uh, that doesn't mean that there's any justification for patterns of racist behavior. But I, I also believe to recognize the humanity of people in that job is part of what's going to make things better. Mm. And um, it's challenging, depending on the circumstance and the situation. But uh, uh, you know, I, I um, I'm not trying to compare these things because the crisis of racism is correctly front and center right now in the national conversation. But in dealing with it and trying to evolve into a better outcome, instead of just winning an argument, I think um, bearing in mind. Uh, what it's like to, 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 to have those jobs. They're not particularly well-paying. Um, now they, uh, some people admire them more. Some people admire them less. They have children. They have, you know, it's, it's, it's not the, they're just part of a broader social situation. And policemen, because we've cut uh, budgets for mental health, we've cut budgets for education, for recreation, that all of these problems end up being on the doorstep of a police department. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, social work, all these other things w going down. So, so uh, somehow uh, I'm trying in my own head to be completely committed to the progressive policy goals, honor and search myself to be is it's not just racism, sexism, and the problem that women raised in the last few years, also a big deal that should be recognized. Hmm. Uh, you know, homophobia, also a big deal that should be recognized. And, but at the same time, to try to recognize um, the humanity and good intentions of people that may not come to the same conclusions that I do or have jobs that I've never done. Uh, I don't know how to synthesize it all. I know who I'm voting for. I know who I'm giving money to. Uh, I think we do the little things we can do without, you know, um, you know, overthinking it. But then somehow coming back to a place of compassion and love is the only way out of this mm -hmm. conundrum mm -hmm. because we know what happens if we up the ante of negativity. You know, yeah, we know exactly. what those results are. Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly... And that's what John Lewis... Yeah. embodied yeah, exactly. was that yes. philosophy yes. of yes. not yes. upping the ante of negativity yeah. and so to honor him we have to honor that part of him as well as the civil rights yeah. part of him and that's and yeah, somehow honor. fuse them together not easy yeah. to do but 
as I, as we've said in other conversations, that's the gig. Yeah, but that's the, yeah, exactly. That is the spiritual work. That is why this is all one ball of wax. There isn't yeah. two separate anything. Right, right. And then I encountered that feeling in that moment, and then I had uh, I then went inside and did what we would hope anybody would do to realize, as His Holiness says, everyone wants the same thing. They want to be happy. Mm. They want to have uh, sustenance. They want uh, uh, peace. Everybody on this planet wants the same thing. And and to recognize that is, is a help to cut through the us and them thing. And the even other in, thing... Even in this uh, very, very um, pernicious situations that we have seen. Well, and there is a potential silver lining not to trivialize the uh, gravity of the problems and the amount of work it'll take to really build a just society but you know the reaction of the majority of the public to george floyd is very different than it was to rodney king and previous Mm -hmm. times when there were racial disturbances based on police issues it's uh it's uh two-thirds of the society and probably 80 percent of young people uh, are empathizing with Black Lives Matter. That's a that that was not have been the case even ten years ago. Mm. So for all of the darkness that's been going on and that we see manifest, uh, you know, on on our computer screens so often, there's something good been going on also that could end up prevailing uh, based on uh, you know public opinion is is more progressive and enlightened I think than it's been. Uh, you know, in, in, in some time and uh, translating that into actions and, and a good structures uh, in a very complicated world where money is such a driving force, uh, not easy, but, yeah. but I do find that very, very encouraging. Yeah. And, and I, Absolutely. and I think, um, I think a lot of other, I think a lot of African American leaders have commented on that also. So there is a, there are some real rays of light and I think the idea is to try to support, you know, the light and, and to try to avoid freaking out as best yeah. we can. Well, here's uh, we're at the end of our uh, time here. And here's the last thing from John Lewis Thank to you. address exactly what we're talking about. He said, do not get lost in a sea of despair. Mm. Be hopeful. Be optimistic. Mm. Our struggle is not the struggle of a day, a week, a month. Or year, it is the struggle of a lifetime. Never, ever be afraid to make some noise and get in good trouble, necessary trouble. And that's the title of this. Uh, that's what he used to say. Everyone yeah, said he was yeah. getting some good trouble, eh? Yeah. You know, everybody he was around. So really, really great, Ragu. I, I, I think you did. You're always a good curator of quotes, but I think this may be <laughs> one of your best. Uh, all of yeah. these have been so uh, just filled with light. Thank you for uh, letting me uh, listen to them and have this conversation with you. And uh, all love to everyone listening. Yes, thank you, thank you, uh, everybody. You'll be able to go up to. Uh, BeHereNowNetwork.com slash MindRolling, and you will see uh, um, all of the links and everything else to some of the stuff that we've been talking about, including this film, King in the Wilderness. I want to see that. I haven't seen it. Oh, that, I can't wait for you to see it. You've got to call me after you see it. It's okay. incredible. <laughs> we'll it's so spiritual. It, it's so much 
it, it, it's 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 one of a kind. It's one of really? my favorites. Okay, yeah. I'm going to do that. And uh, by the way, Danny, uh, for those of you who might not know, is the author of a number of different books around our culture. All of them um, just uh, wildly great, as far as I'm concerned. And he's working on another one now, but maybe too soon to talk about. A little later down the road. Yeah, a little later. It'll come out next year. It, okay. it, it covers some of the stuff we're talking about, but I got a lot of work to do before anyone can read it. <laughs> so uh, we'll give you a couple of links for uh, Danny's books as well. And again, thank you so much as usual. We shall see you all next week on Mind Rolling.